Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Form Welcome. Uh, pretty special episode today. We have Matt from Say Coffee. Something you have to know f- about me is I make coffee every day and I love using my Kalita pour over. And one of my favorite roasters right now is Say Coffee, based out of Bushwick, Brooklyn. They've been around for a while, actually, um, under a different name. They were originally called Lofted. Back in the day when I was going to college at NYU, I had a coffee club that I started. And the guys at Say were one of the first advocates uh, and really came and, and supported what I did uh, at the collegiate level. So I'm excited to circle back and speak with Matt who is a chief business officer at Say Coffee. He started a year ago and prior to that he actually was in he was a he was in he was in the dentistry field. Um, and so he's had quite the career change from doing that and having his own practice out in Pasadena. Uh, and he pivoted and got into so he was dodging at restaurants and then found himself in coffee. And it's a, it's a really crazy journey that he's that he's had so far. So happy to share this conversation I've had with Matt and uh, we'll take you a little bit back to where he used to be uh, in a completely different industry. I sort of had a moment where um, I felt like, is, is this what I'm going to be doing for 20 years? And, and that's it. That's my story. You know, uh, what, do, what do dentists do, right? You, you you grow practices, you start buying real estate, you, you, um, you know, you, you have plenty of ability to get, get into other interests. But I think for me, I've always been so into being, you know, so enthusiastic about what I'm doing that I didn't exhaust my interest in it, but it definitely, I, I didn't see, and I was probably a bit naive as well, but I didn't see the, the growth opportunity at that moment. I was sort of like, okay, I'm going to be working, doing, um, you know, practicing and, and that's my life. I'm going to be staying in Pasadena and practicing. And, and, I, and it didn't sit well. It wasn't because it wasn't stable or, you know, all of the things that I, I took for granted, I think. But I kind of just was like, hey, I, you know, why not pursue some other interests and really dedicate time to it? And my other interest at that moment was food and beverage. Um, and so I actually started, um, I think it was like 2013, started staging at restaurants in LA on the weekends. And again, I wasn't living that life every night, which I ultimately have a massive amount of respect for. But when Friday, Friday, you know, Saturday rolled around and I knew I was going in at, you know, 10 that morning, I was so excited. And so that was that. And I just kind of dabbled around and, and really um, the coffee thing happened shortly thereafter. But the restaurant, it was really that, that was the bridge for me of like moving from dentistry into the food and beverage industry was it was basically that was just staging at some restaurants really motivated to like explore the, the the varying different styles of restaurants and and how people operate in those spaces as matt spent more of his time on the weekend staging and helping out his restaurants there was one story in particular that he wanted to share with me which is a time he had staged at Exlet in downtown la with alvin kalen and uh, and how it was a huge teaching moment for him I remember Alvin, I, and I knew him just through like uh, mutual friends, but I remember reaching out to him and I was like, Hey, can I come in and just help out? You know, I'll, I'll do whatever. I just, I'm just trying to get experience. And he was like, sure. Like, why don't you just show up on um, Saturday 
just get there early and, and the manager will meet you and he'll take care of you. I was like, cool. So the funny thing is that Friday I had one of the biggest dental cases I finished that Friday. It was like a, a five unit implant case. Like it was really, I mean, it was, it, it took months to finish, but um, I had finished it that Friday and that it went well. And then Saturday morning I go in there, I think it was like seven thirty, maybe seven o'clock. And the manager was there and I kind of just stood around. I, I was like, Hey, Alvin, um, you know, told me to come in and I'm just going to help out today. And he was like, cool. And he didn't really give me anything to do. So I was just like standing around for the first 20 minutes, just waiting. And then I just was like, I pressed. So I was like, Hey, like, is there anything I can do? You know? And, and he was like, okay, cool. I want you to, um, can you slice these brioche buns? Right. And, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And you know, he's, um, you know, they have a specific proportion for top and bottom that they, that they wanted to cut at. But I do remember, like, he showed me, which was awesome, how to hold the bread knife, how to cut, right? And I'm really trying to, like, follow what he wants done, right? But then I I did the first one. I probably messed it up. It's kind of crooked. And he stood over my shoulder and really, like, watched me do it for 15 minutes. And in my mind, I said, he doesn't know I'm doing dentistry. He just knows I know Alvin and I'm there to work for free, basically. Um, And in my mind, I'm like, this is it. This is, you know, this is his teaching moment. Right. And I, I just had done surgery the day before and I can't even get this brioche bun cut correctly. Right. So it gave me so that's just like a huge lesson for me in that transition of having the perspective of understanding that you're nobody. It doesn't matter what you're doing or how much money you make or whatever. Like you enter that space. It's about like executing the vision of the people that you're with and around. And it was really, it was really an important moment for me personally, because I, it was sort of that moment where I put myself um, in that like really beginner level. I was like, this is his teaching moment. He's going to watch me slice for the next 10 minutes. Um, And I'm just, I just got to focus and do it right. So he can go off and do his job. Right. And I think that, that I will never forget that moment because it was sort of like, okay, if you're going to do this, like, doesn't matter what you do for a living or who you are, who you know just go in there and learn, like be honest about what you don't know how to do. And I think that's how I approached it. And people were really, um, you know, I think once they got to know me a little bit, they knew I was trying to really learn it the right way and, and, and just execute, um, at a, at a a level that I could get to at least at that point. Um, but yeah, that moment right there was just so, um, it might seem really silly, but for me, it just, it's the perspectives that I really enjoyed learning while I was spending time in kitchens um, that really kind of carry, carry through to even coffee now, like how I approach wholesale and partnerships and how say is represented to people. And, um, you know, I think it's, it was really an educational experience for me. So one of the things I was curious about with Matt's story was how he was stodging at restaurants on the weekends, being a dentist on the weekdays and how he pivoted from that to getting into coffee. So there was a, a roaster in downtown LA called Handsome Coffee Roasters. I, th- I think they started in maybe 2012 or 2013. And um, I got to know uh, Tyler, Chris, Michael, um, Charlie, sort of the founders, just from going in so much. I was just, again, I was all around. Um, and I think the couple, after the couple years that they were open and they ended up being, um, Blue Bottle ended up buying that location. They had a um, sort of a transition party. And, um, I went with some friends, um, and it was definitely the coffee community that, that showed up. 
And I remember w- winning this like weird raffle thing. It was like, you, it, I forget what the actual, it was like a raffle, but it was like, you, you won a day. The thing I won was like getting to come in for a day and spend time with uh, Charlie Hobregger, who was then the director of coffee. He transitioned into the buyer for Blue Bottle at that point. Um, and, and that was my moment of like getting my foot in the door and being in the back of house there around the roasting team. Um, and he just walked me through roasting what, what that was about. I never really, I never really understood how the coffee got to the, into the bag really, you know, I just knew I'd buy the bag and brew it, but, um, and that's how I met Charlie. And so he kind of picked up on that. Like I, I had this a really great interest, gave me the opportunity, asked me to come back for further cuppings and, and QC stuff that they would do on the weekends or whatever day it was. And, um, that was the first, I think, coffee professional I really engaged with. Um, to a degree where um, he was just really inspirational. He, I saw the passion he had for it. Um, I was learning stuff. Every Everything he was saying was new to me and just like, whoa, like there's a supply chain. Whoa, there's producers that do this. There's importers. The coffee has to get here. Then you have to like store it properly. Then you have to like roast it to a certain um, philosophy. And then you have to QC all of that. And then it gets packaged. And like, it was just this wild, like, whoa, like, coffee is what it's out of control. Like I can't believe that there's so many elements involved. That's, that was my aha moment. As Matt spent more time in the coffee scene and the coffee industry, his official paying first paying job was actually not in a coffee shop, but instead it was in a different part of the world in Rwanda. Yeah. yeah, It was totally probably my first like salary paid job that just happened to be on the other side of the planet. Um, I, I, at that point, honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just, I, I, it was interesting. It was obviously going to be a life experience. Um, I, I was hoping I could build off of it, right, in some degree. But I was just, you know, um, really saying yes to the opportunities that presented themselves. Because again, coffee is, it's very difficult and challenging to, to find a niche and find a, um, a career in coffee, I think, outside of owning a shop. Um, if you want to start a roaster, you know, like, getting a, a position for an importer. Like there's not that many um, positions available. So I, I found it very challenging to be like, okay, where, how am I going to get into this? You know, do I just, am I just, a, am I just a barista? Am I just going to work at a cafe? Is that, is that what I need to do? You know, I, I didn't know. So um, I definitely like can understand when, when folks are searching for, um, finding their foothold in, in any industry, how, how challenging that can be. Um, and for me, it was just self-doubt the entire time, right? It's like, why did I leave dentistry? <laughs> you know, like, what am I doing here? Um, but it, in, in general, that, that experience was, was really off the charts. It was um, incredible. I, I was able to network with um, other um, exporters, producers in Central East Africa, um, really valuable experience and definitely something that allows me to approach coffee now in a way, I think a little bit more respectfully because I, um, I I know, I I still know the people that I worked with over there and, um, the challenges they face, the workers, the farmers that they, that cooperatives, um, are working um, with over there and and sort of their perspectives and philosophies, you know, they're, it's just a very different approach. They just want to, a lot of these farmers want to get paid. And when I say farmer, they happen to, have a Bourbon plant that's growing on their property and they, they know that they can pick it and walk it down the road to a wet mill and get paid for it. 
So it's not, it's not always the story of a um, hyper-focused producer um, doing these vintages of cherries that year in and year out that are exceptional, right? It's, it's, there's a, the majority of specialty coffee is based around um, folks who are um, looking to, to get a source of income based off of a native plant or a plant that's been you know, planted at some point a long time ago in their region. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a story in itself, um, but I think it ultimately allows you to have a little bit more respect for the product that you do work with. Um, because that, you know, I, I, I witnessed the red carpet rollout whenever buyers came through or import, importers, exporters or coffee roasters came through. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a show that goes on. Some of it, and a lot of it is, is still very genuine, but the day to day is very different than sort of of roasters experience with producers. Yeah. After Matt spent some time in Rwanda working with producers and farmers and importers, he found himself back in California working for a company called Coffee Manufactory. Kind of the brainchild of coffee manufacturers, Chris Jordan. Um, he's still a friend and, and someone that I really look up to in the industry. He, he was, uh, he set up roasteries for Starbucks. He was uh, a buyer for them for a while. He, was the director of TechnoServe over in Central East Africa, which built a lot of the infrastructure to allow especially coffee to flourish in Ethiopia, Kenya. He's someone that, you know, I definitely was like, hey, I have to work for this person at some point in my career. Like I have to like um, wean off of this, this, this guy that's done so much great work. And so Coffee Manufacturer was his, his brainchild. And um, when I was in Rwanda, I, I kept in touch with Devin, with Chris, um, and there was a point in which that it was, you know, they were actually launching it and it was um, coming to fruition. So, um, again, that and, and my wife, my, my, my then future wife was the main reason for coming back. And um, I started off the coffee manufacturing, not really with a job. Our first wholesale account in Los Angeles was Destroyer, was with uh, Jordan Khan. Um, and, and so that was really the first project I did with coffee manufacturing. So I, I helped sort of. Uh, jumped in wherever they were that summer before they opened, helped sort of get the coffee and tea program where it needed to be for Destroyer's opening, worked on bar for the first two months, and my salary was split between Destroyer and Coffee Manufacturing. Um, so that was my transition from coming back to Rwanda, was working with Jordan, and um, that was an incredible um, experience to be around someone that, was, that, again, is so focused on doing things um, the way that he envisions it. Um, yeah. And then after Destroyer was, was up and running, um, kind of went into like sales and training. So I was doing a little bit of wholesale, a little bit of like account management, um, did that for about a year. Um, and then, uh, Maya, my coworker at the time, she sort of moved into marketing and then I sort of, then I sort of kind of took over wholesale at that point in business development. And that was sort of the trajectory with coffee manufacturing. And then I was overseeing wholesale for um, at least a couple years at that point. Um, we opened um, the three locations in Seoul, um, expanded to LA, which everybody knows about um, on the coffee end. And so sort of had it really set up to um, continue to grow. It was definitely a, a, um, a volume-based, volume-driven um, business philosophy. Um, and then last summer it, it was for various reasons. I mean, it was just, was time for me to kind of move on. Um, and, and then that was the transition to say. Around a year ago in October, 2019 is when Matt joined Say Coffee 
And a month later in November, they launched these new designs of their retail coffee packaging. And I really, really love it a lot. It's, 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 it's a box and on the box on the outside is a little pouch, if you will, a little cutout where they put in these uh, cards, this printout cards, square cards, and it has information about the coffee that's in the box, right? And one of the things that they do really well is they break down how much it costs to get the coffee from the farm to importing it, to roasting it, and then deliver to you. So I really love that transparency aspect of their packaging. And so I just wanted to probe uh, Matt a little bit about, about more behind the scenes and his, th- his thoughts on the process. Um, when I came on board, they had the, the designs pretty much flushed out and we launched that packaging in November of last year. Um, and that was just the retail only. We'll, we'll, um, we have plans for our, our bulk bags as well, which will roll out um, at some point soon. But um, the retail transition was great. Um, I think I really liked the old bags. It was still very iconic for what they were doing. Um, but this one allowed, obviously, um, gave a cleaner design, um, a little bit more uniformity and cohesion. But then also it gave us that little pouch to be able to put information um, coffee info, transparency, pricing information, things that we think are really important to go with the coffee. Um, and so that, that launched in November and it's been um, pretty well received um, since then. Um, and uh, I think everybody's pretty proud of it. I mean, I think there's always things we want to improve with it. Um, but I think in general, it's been, um, it's been a somewhat of a success um, in rolling that out. I think those details are important because it's, again, it's part of that experience, right? We want, we want folks that, um, you know, we don't want it to show up in, in, in shambles. And then like, you happen to just like the coffee. I, we really want it to be a thing. You, you receive it, the experience of opening that box, pulling the box out, pulling the cart out, reading about the coffee, then brewing it. Right. I think that's, um, sort of the focus. It's just attention to detail and, and, and making sure that we can, you know, if we're going to charge uh, $24 for that box of coffee, some experience involved there outside of just the coffee. I think that's something that um, Graham, Tobin, Lance, um, everybody's really done a great job of, of maintaining that focus as we kind of, <laughs> you know, spend more money on packaging and, and designing and, and effort and, and that, that kind of thing. It's, it's a lot, it's, it could have been a lot easier. We could have done it, um, taken a shortcut here and there, but I think they really did a great job with that. So super proud of the team, um, especially our production team. Shout out to them. They, especially during COVID, they've been holding it down so remarkably well. We're a small, small, small team, like I said before, but Helen, Greg, um, Andrew, um, Graham, who's back there a lot. Like, I, mean, I think they just do such an amazing job week in and week out of consistency um, with the product. Um, if there are any issues, just remedying it quickly. Um, so I, I, I'm so proud to be part of this team that, um, really from top to bottom, um, they're just some exceptional people and human beings and and do a great job at what they do. As Matt continues to grow, say as a, as a brand, as a company, I was curious to see if there were any kind of philosophies or tenants about what the brand is, what it stood for. And so this is Matt's take on that. I think if you were to sum up a couple really important tenants for us. Quality is always going to be at the top, um, but transparency is also um, right up there as well. And so the idea around showing pricing information for each coffee, um, it's not novel. 
It's not new. There have been companies that have done it, whether in their annual reports, like one of report a year or certain coffees that they select to highlight that transparency. I think we might be one of the first coffee companies um, in the globe to do that consistently for every release. And again, we source over a hundred coffees a year. So doing that is a, is a feat in itself, I think. Um, but the, I, I think in my, from my perspective, um, the pricing really goes alongside with um, quality and sustainability. So when we talk about especially coffee at large and the issues that it faces moving forward, coffee needs to be quality driven. Not every coffee is going to be an 88 point coffee or 86 point coffee, or 85 point coffee even. So I'm not saying that that is the only coffee that needs to exist. But I think if you don't have a metric that evaluates what the coffee is, it's very difficult to then substantiate the value, intrinsic values of it. You can attach a lot of things to it and all of the coffee has a place. Um, 78 point coffee, 83 point coffee, 87 point coffee, they all have a place and are all equally important. Um, maybe not even equally important, you know, but just that is not sort of what this is about. I think for me, if we can connect quality and then transparency and understanding the supply chain and prices that are involved and show what we're actually paying for coffees, that to me is a really great starting point so that people can understand not only how coffee gets here and how it's a globally traded commodity, but also be able to connect the dots between, okay, this coffee is of this profile or this origin or this quality. And then this is what it's, this is what we're paying for it. And I think sharing that information for people is, is a conversation starter um, around, Hey, say we, we don't just have this coffee and ambiguously charge you for it. There are, there are costs associated with it. And I think the alignment is really in transparent expression, not only in flavor, but transparent um, representation as far as the pricing that um, importers, exporters, farmers, producers, cooperatives get for that coffee. I am more willing at this point, um, I think in my life, if a product is transparent and is shown where it's coming from and who, what are the, what are some of the folks, the major folks that touch that coffee, what they're getting paid for, that makes me feel much more supportive and, and, and it makes me feel good to, to put my money toward that product. And I think you've seen that in wine, you've seen that in the food industry, having that transparency around where your, your produce and your seafood comes from. Um, I think those are all things that coffee is sort of, um, it's sort of been clouded to a certain degree because we were coming out of this, let's establish what direct trade is. And like, there's a, a producer that is associated with the coffee. I think that's what Intelli counterculture, um, you know, th these, these great companies have established, but I think moving forward, it really needs to be about metrics that we can see and quantify and, 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 and compare. Um, because again, every coffee roaster is sourcing coffees that were grown by a producer, right? That's a commonality. But I think if you're able to unveil the numbers behind that, it'll make, it'll make us feel good when we know that a producer is getting paid more next year than the coffee that we bought from them this year. And it'll make us feel even better if it's because that coffee's gotten better. There's incentive, right? You know, they've, they've done things to make that coffee either as good or as good as it could be. Um, and that's sort of what I want translated to our wholesale partners is that appreciation that not saying say pays the most for a coffee, but that we're willing to show, um, what we're actually paying for that coffee 
in support of producers and the supply chain. Our import partners, our exporters, they're all important pieces of it. We're not trying to say, hey, we only work with producers and we cut the middlemen out. The reality is we need to show what everybody is is profiting off of this so that we can justify prices on the retail end. So when you come in to say and you get a $5 pour over, $6 pour over, you can actually look and see what the cost of that coffee was for us coming in-house. Um, so I think that's just, you know, in short, that might have been a little confusing, but I, I, I think it really comes down to what transparency is about. And for us, it's about you experiencing Toror producer-focused coffees without us over-roasting them and without age. And then on the financial side of it, us being very open to sharing pricing with you as a consumer um, so that you know, hey, we're not, we're not buying coffee as cheap as possible and upcharging as much as possible. There's, there's an actual formula there. Um, and sometimes it works out really weird. Sometimes our Ethiopian coffees are the cheapest on our menu, but, 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 subjective, but subjectively, they're some of our favorites, right? It, it's, not, it's not always the thing where it's like we just price something the highest because it's the best, it's, it's really based around these numbers that we're um, trying to revolve and move our business around. My last question for Matt before I let him go was why coffee, right? Like he, I'm sure he had a fairly comfortable situation when he was building his practice. And so what was it that made him do a complete career change to do what he does now? Man, I mean, I think initially, um, and it carries to, to this day, I think I've, I, I feel very fortunate to have met so many great people that I consider really close friends through the coffee industry. Um, I think coffee is a beverage that um, it, it excites me. It warms me, you know, it picks me up when I'm down. It, it, it carries on a high if I'm high, you know, like it, it's, it's this beverage that I really do enjoy drinking number one. Um, but I think with um, a lot of industries, uh, one of the things that really, um, turns me on to it is, is, is the link that you do have to so many different people. Um, and I think whatever part of that chain you decide to work in, um, if your focus is on people and your focus is on quality, I think you're doing really great work. I think you're, um, you're hopefully part of this movement to continue specialty coffee going in a direction of not just accessibility and inclusion, um, but also quality and, and putting the spotlight on um on all the people that coffee originates from um the countries it comes from the people it comes from and i think that those kind of touch points are really make it attractive and it makes it makes me really passionate about being in an industry that has a lot of growth and a lot of improvement left for sure uh to be done but um you know i i, I think it's a tremendous community um both on the retail and roaster end um as well as on the producer and import exporter. And I hope in general, we all continue to strive for the best and, um, and kind of grow as, as we learn. Um, so that, that's really in a nutshell, it's, it's, um, it's a really special industry to work in and it overlaps with all of our friends, right? Wine, food, um, et cetera. Farmer. In the end, when it comes, when, when it comes down to diversity, inclusion in any industry, it's about giving people opportunity. And I, have been giving up, been given opportunities um, the last five, six years I've been in coffee. Um, and, and I really want to continue to just um, kind of give that back to people. I think that's really the key for diversifying any workplace 
is to making sure that that is part of the hiring process. You can't expect diversity to come to you. You have to go get it. Um, and that's something that I've learned over the years, even in dentistry, building practice, is that you have to make that a priority. Um, it can't be a passive, um, a passive action. So that was my little spiel there. I, I think it was really important for me to express because um, I know that's something that Say is committed to and, um, and I appreciate you know the support. Thank you, Matt, for your time and for being on the podcast. If you haven't tried Say Coffee yet and you are an avid coffee drinker or maybe you just got into it during this uh, pandemic, because I know a lot of my friends did, give them a try. Um, their website is saycoffee.com, S-E-Y. That's their Instagram handle as well. I'm a monthly subscriber. They have a great subscription program. I don't even have to think about it. On the, on the first of the first week of the month, I'm sent a box in the mail. And uh, again, terrific coffees and uh, a wonderful job that Matt is doing. And I'm so excited to see where they go from here. Um, so that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Arnold with Warm Welcome and I'll see you next time.